truly humbled. We have been walking for some time as a church through some really tough things. And I know for some of us it's, it's fresh and we understand it and we know more. For others of you, maybe you've been visiting or kind of been watching on the outside and you don't know. For some of us in the body, you're still like, I still really don't know what's going on, but I, I feel it. We've all felt it. Um, as we've had uh, Converge come in and work with us through our time, it's, it's been a trial. We've been walking through our own storm. So we're going to revisit Matthew 14 that was preached on a couple weeks ago and see the encouragement that comes out of that. And through that time, as Converge has worked with us, there was a lot of recommendations. And as Covenant Partners, you voted to receive those recommendations. And the last recommendation was a vote of confidence on me. And that has passed. And so I am... I am reestablished to you as your pastor with great humility. It's an honor to be able to preach the word to you, to teach, and to break bread, the bread of life. And so I just want to say thank you uh, for all the prayers and all that you have done, not just the encouragement of me, but how you've encouraged one another. Jesus has done a lot in this body. And one of the things I've noticed is how you have loved each other. How you've encouraged each other. How you've come alongside each other. There's a lot of healing that still needs to happen. But take courage. Take courage. The Spirit of the Lord is here. He is in this place. He is working among you. And we as the bridge know better what it means in John 13, 35, which is our youth group uh, motto. So if you ever wonder why it's 1335 at the bridge, Jesus says this new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another, that the world knows that we are his disciples by the way we love each other. We've been learning that. We've been learning what it means to bear one another's burdens. We have been learning what it means to be like Jesus, to be gentle and lowly with each other. And so, Thank you for, for all that you have been striving in. And there's still more to do. And we need to keep striving together and loving well. And so, as a body, I would say the storm isn't past yet. But man, there's hope on the horizon. Jesus is on the water. We're sinking and we're saying, Lord, save me. And immediately he stretches out his hand and he pulls us up. We're in that moment. So if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew 14. I'll be reading verses 14 through 33. Our text will mainly focus on the passage of Jesus and the disciples in the boat. This is what it said. Yes, yes. Thank you. Bless you, brother. I have felt it. Matthew 14, this is what we read. 
when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. This is Jesus going ashore. He's, he's pulled himself away. His cousin John the Baptist has just been beheaded. He just got news. He wants to move and be alone, just him and his disciples. Get some space. He's grieving. And it says, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's three in the morning, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Pray with me, please. Father, we come to this passage and we, we see ourselves in many ways. But this is a testimony of how great your Son is, of who he is of what he does. May we not miss that. Give us eyes to see our great hope, our great help, our great salvation in Christ Jesus. Spirit, open our hearts to receive. Give us ears to hear. Teach us from the revelation you have given us. Illuminate Christ before us, that we, like the disciples, will be in awe, that we will worship, that our circumstances will become less, maybe not changed, but in light of the Savior, they become less. 
Help us to walk in that hope that comes with Jesus. We ask this, Father, in the name of Jesus, the name above every name. Amen. So the context of this passage is that, like I said as I was beginning to read, Jesus gets word that John the Baptist, his cousin, has been beheaded by Herod, and he's deeply grieving. We all know what that's like to, to lose a loved one, maybe in a tragedy, maybe even just by natural means, but that loss of someone we love, like we understand that, and there's those times when we're just like, I just need some space. That's how Jesus was feeling right there. Like he totally identifies with us in our grief when we, when we have this moment of life and we're thinking about those around us and then things have changed and we lost the loved ones and we're like, I just need a moment. I just need some space. And he tells his disciples, let's get in the boat. We're going to go across to a desolate place and we're just going to be there together for a while. We're just going to take some time and be together. Right now, we may be feeling some of that, maybe not the actual loss of a friend, but loss of friendships because they've been strained over the last few months. And we just feel like we need some space. Jesus gets it. He understands. He sees it. He's experienced it. They get to this desolate place. They're not near a town. They're, they're just out there, near, kind of near a town, but they're in a, a spot where there's nothing. And the crowds here that Jesus is over there and they show up and he has compassion on them. He has compassion and mercy for them. He's like, these people have come with all of their hurts and all of their needs and their grief and their sorrows and their brokenness and, and, and they're needing to hear from God. They're needing to see God. They need hope. They've come out into the wilderness. You don't take a trip out into the wilderness unless there's need. It's like Jesus has been going through the towns and you're thinking, yeah, but when he comes through town, I'll go hear him preach. These people are like, I have need. I need to see him. I want to see him. I got to hear him. I got to, you know, ask him for a touch of his hand. I, I got to hear his voice. And these multitudes come out, 5,000 men plus women and children. This huge crowd comes out and Jesus teaches all day, teaches through the day. And then it's, it's later. It's, it's getting late. Sun's going down. People are hungry. They've been there. There's nothing to sustain them. And the disciples are like, hey, send them away, Jesus. Like, they've got to eat. They can't stay out here. They, they need to go. Jesus meets their needs. He gives them spiritual food, much like the woman at the well. He gives spiritual food. Remember when the disciples showed up in John 4, and they, they brought him, you know, Subway sandwiches, and they're like, here you go, buddy. And then he's like, I have food you know nothing about. He didn't have Subway. But he's like, I have food that you know nothing about. And they're like, where, where did he get the food? Like, who brought him stuff? Did somebody come by? And he was talking about spiritual food. He fed the crowd spiritually, and now he's going to feed them in the natural sense, and meet that physical need too. But he says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. He's testing them. He's getting them to step out in faith. He's like, here's a... Here's a command for you. I want you to do this. And they're like, nobody could do that. We only have these loaves and fishes. Like, we can't feed the multitude. We can't do it. And that's the point. In faith, we step out and we give everything that we have to God, and he works through it. What have you given to the Lord? 
When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, he's saying, give me everything. Give me everything. In this moment, he says, give me all the food you have. Give me everything. And so they give him his loaves and fishes, and he blesses it, and Jesus works through them, and works through the, the offering, and has this miraculous, this offer of food for all the people. Reminds me of what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, verse 11, we say, give us this day our daily bread. Now, when we pray that, we're not just talking, Lord, give me food today, because it really would be good if I could get a lunch break, and like, if you just can make sure I have enough money to get down to Voodoo and downtown, because I haven't had fish tacos in a while, and I really like that, that would be good. Can you give me my daily bread, Lord? That would be good. No, we're saying, Lord, sustain me. Give me manna from heaven, and he will take care of our needs. He cares for us in the natural sense too. But when we're praying, give me my daily bread, we're saying, Lord, meet with me the way Jesus met with this multitude. Feed me, sustain me. May I, may I feast on your word. He shows the disciples that they need a Savior, they need the Messiah. He's showing us our need. We need him. We need Christ. It's a demonstration of faith for these disciples. So they give him everything, and he does this beautiful miracle. So what do you have to give the master for the kingdom, for the kingdom work? What do you have? Now think about it for a minute. Think about your circumstance. What has God blessed you with? How has he equipped you? What has he given to you? And Jesus says, give it to me for the kingdom. Give it to me so that those in darkness will come into a marvelous light. Give it to me and I'll multiply it. Give it to me and I'll work through it. Give it to me and I'll use you for kingdom purposes. What do you have? What are you holding on to? We talk about holding things loosely. Do you hold everything loosely? In Baptist circles, there's this cartoon that goes around. I, I was in a Southern Baptist church before I came out this way six years ago. There's this little cartoon that goes around and the guy's in the baptistry with the pastor and he's like, everything that goes under the water is given unto the Lord and he dunks him and then the next thing, the guy's like this under the water, <laughs> you know, with his wallet up, you know. It's like, what are you holding on to? What is it that you have out of the water? Like, he says, give it all to me. Matthew 6, again, the Lord's Prayer, verses 9 and 10, the very beginning. Pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, sacred, exalted. That's hallowed. Be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, here's everything. Do with it as you will. Your will be done in it. Your kingdom come through it. On earth, just as it is in heaven. So verses 22 through 24, this is what we read. So immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So they get back in the boat and they're heading back from whence they came. And while he dismissed the crowd, and after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So, 
Jesus sends them away. He tells them to get into the boat, and he's dismissing the crowds. So he gets word. He's like, okay, let's go to a secluded place. He goes over there. The crowds show up. He's teaching and preaching and doing miracles, does the miracle of the food. And then he tells them to get into the boat, and he dismisses 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. Conversations, hugs. You know, I just want to touch Jesus before we go. You know, it's like, come on, honey, just, just one minute. All those kind of conversations. If we can't get out of the bridge, I mean, as little number as we are after a Sunday service, and I'm over here like, hey, guys, I'm going to turn off the lights. Is that all right? You know, like, if we can't get out of the bridge, imagine that scene. Jesus, tired, exhausted, grieving, having compassion and still ministering to the people, sending them off, loving them, sending them away. Then he goes up on the mountainside to pray. Now, it's not like a mountain like we think mountains. It's more, if you went over there, you would think, oh, this is more of a, a, hilly, a hillside. It doesn't, it's not grander, but it's mountains for the region. So he goes up onto the mountain to pray. And the disciples are going across the sea. All right. They're about to come into calamity. Are they in the middle of the Lord's will? You can answer that. Are they in the middle of the Lord's will? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I mean, they just had church, y'all. <laughs> I mean, they're out there with Jesus. He's teaching and preaching. They saw God moving through him. They see this miracle. They're all filled. It says when they were filled, the word used in the Greek there is gluttony. That's where the word we get in the English. for It means they were overly satisfied. The people had their fill. They were gluttoned. They ate all that they could eat. They were satisfied. There was leftovers. Like, they had church. They had the picnic afterwards. It was great fellowship. And then the Lord himself says, hey, I want you to get in that boat and go over there. Like, they're like, yeah, like, I wish Jesus would do that for me sometimes. Like, hey, Rob, this morning I want you to do this and do that. And I'd be like, yes, like, I know exactly what God wants me to do. I'm in the middle of his will. Now, one of the things that goes around Christian circles and it needs to be killed is a lie from hell that's crept its way into the church and people will say, the safest place is in the middle of the Lord's will. Why do we have so many martyrs? The safest place. No, the best place is to be in the middle of his will. That's, that's where we want to be. We want to be with him. We want to be walking with him. But that doesn't keep us from calamity of life. That doesn't keep us from the brokenness of this world. That doesn't keep us from hardships and sorrow and suffering. But God still is with us. These guys are in the middle of the will of Jesus. They got in the boat. They're going. And yet they're going to experience hardship. So he's praying. And he ascends this mountain. By evening, the disciples are struggling their boat is halfway, the wind's blowing against them. So the Jordan River Valley kind of makes this riff. And the river goes through it, and you have the Sea of Galilee, and the river goes out the other end. And what happens is the wind comes off the Mediterranean Sea and rushes down through that river valley and hits right into Galilee, right into the sea. Now, they don't have a lot of big uh, storms on the Sea of Galilee. We read about it in the scriptures, and we hear about storms 
kicking up, but those storms often are not very volatile, not very strong. Like, this is caused by the wind. This is turbulence from the wind coming across, right? And so it's coming, but it's, not, it's unrelenting, and it's a strong wind, and that wind keeps coming, and the, and the waves get choppier and choppier and choppier. Now, you have seasoned fishermen. You have guys who know how to handle a boat, and they're struggling to keep that boat moving. It's like they're just in, in place. It's like as hard as they're rowing, as hard as they're trying to get across, the wind and those waves are pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. So they're stuck. They're in the middle, and they're exhausted. The wind has not relented. They're probably thinking, well, you know, this will probably you know, go for a little while, and it'll relent, and we'll get there. No, it doesn't stop. Maybe you're, you're feeling that. I can guarantee you this. Either you just came out of a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or a storm is coming. <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality of life. And these guys are in the middle of it, and they're thinking, is it going to end? And they're just striving and striving. Jesus told us to go across, we're going to do it. We're going to go across, we're going to do it. And they're not making any headway. The storm that we read about where Jesus is in the boat, that is a big storm. So this one probably has anywhere from four to six foot waves that have been kicked up. Just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. This other storm we read about in Scripture is the actual storm on the sea. And when that one happens, if you look back at, at some video, in like, I think it was like 1996, there was a storm on the Sea of Galilee. They were over 10-foot waves just crashing into the shoreline, which is really unusual. But it's awesome to see. And that's the storm where Jesus is asleep, and it's filling up. And they're like, we're all dead. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care? Here, they're striving in the midst of it. They're like, when's it going to be over? But Jesus is watching and he's praying. Jesus is watching. Look at these passages. This is just God watching. I'm going to go through them. Genesis 16, uh, verses 10 and 13. 10 says this. The angel of the Lord also said to her, and this is Hagar, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. So she receives a promise. Hagar was uh, the, the servant of Sarai, and she was having children, and Sarah wasn't, and Sarah got very jealous and started mistreating her, and so she takes Ishmael and she runs. She, she goes away, and the angel of the Lord comes to her and meets her in the wilderness and says, hey, a promise is given to you by God that your child will also have a, a great multitude, a great descendants, and so she is to go back. And then she says this, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. She's in the midst of her own trial. And God sees her and meets her there. Um, the next slide is Exodus 3. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hizites, the Amorites, the Prezizites, and Hivites. So here God sees his people who are in captivity. He says, I see them. I'm watching. It hasn't, lost, hasn't been lost from his gaze. Psalm 139 
13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. He sees your very substance when he created you. Intimately knows from the beginning you and where you are and what you're in the middle of. Proverbs 15, 3. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. By sorrow, the heart of the spirit is crushed. And did I do the right verse there? 15, 3. Ah, sorry, I was like, no, not 13. 15, 3. Can you do that one really fast or do I need to do a Bible drill? First day back on the job, I tell you. Oh, good, you're faster than I am. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He watches everything. He sees everything. It's not missed from his gaze. Our next passage in the, in the New Testament, Luke 12, 7, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. If you're not, you are of more value than many sparrows. He says, I even know the number of hair on your head or the hairs you've lost. <laughs> he knows them all. John 4, 18, woman at the well. He, he's talking to the woman, and they're having a dialogue, and he says, for you have had five husbands, and the one you're, what you now have is not your husband. And she says, what you said is true. Like, she's like, you know my life. You know what I'm doing, and my coming, and my going, my lying down, my standing up. You see all of it. Ephesians 1. Do you have that one in there? Ephesians 1, 4. Two mistakes. Keep a tally mark. <laughs> Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the foundation, before he even created you, before Psalms even took place, he already had you in mind. He was already seeing you, your substance, who you are, the time and place where you would be from the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 3, 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. His eyes are on us. He's listening to our prayers. So he's watching Jesus is on the mountain. He's watching. God is watching. Jesus is watching right now. And he's praying. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. He's praying. It says this. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He's talking to Peter. He says, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. He says, but take courage. I've prayed for you, Peter. Hey, wouldn't that be great to have Jesus say that to you? Hey, take courage. I'm pr I've prayed for you. Newsflash, take courage. He's praying for you right now. He's not standing beside you like he did with Peter saying, hey, take courage, I'm praying for you. But he is in heaven interceding on our behalf right now. And the Holy Spirit who is within those of us who have received him, his love has been poured into our hearts by the Spirit of God. Emmanuel, God with us, the Spirit of God in us, intercedes for us with groans that we don't even comprehend. They pray perfect prayers for you in your circumstance. Take courage. I have prayed for you, and he is praying for you now. He's praying for our church right now. Perfect prayers. John 17 is another great example. The, the prayer 
of the high priest, Jesus, and how he prayed for us who were far off, and he prayed for the disciples. And then Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. But he holds his priesthood permanently. So the high priest is always interceding because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He intercedes for us in prayer in the heavenlies, and he intercedes for us when sin is involved. When we come to him and say, have mercy on me, a sinner, save me. He intercedes in the throne room of God and says, this one is covered by my blood. He does the work of the high priest for us. So Jesus is watching. Jesus is praying. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So here it is, fourth watch of the night from three to six in the morning. Grieving, teaching, talking with people, going to pray, and now walking down at three in the morning, between three and six anyway, before the sun comes up. Jesus hasn't taken rest in this moment. His rest has been with the Heavenly Father. His rest has been when he was praying with the Father on the mountainside, communing with him, talking with the Father. He was being restored and rejuvenated then, but he's not slept. He's still in the flesh. He's still a man. And now he walks down the mountain and he starts his, his trek across the sea. So Christ comes to meet them. It says that they are terrified. The next verse is, next couple of verses here, it says that he, they're terrified in verse 26, but stay at 25. I just want to point out, when he comes, they're terrified. He's there for help. All right, they've been struggling. They've been going through it. This is the storm. It's like, I don't know if I can make it any longer. I don't know much how much more I can take. I don't know if I can be stretched any thinner. I don't know what is next. Jesus is there. He is our help in our circumstances. See, no problem we face is greater than the help that Christ provides. No matter how broken your circumstance is, our Savior can fix and work and redeem and restore. He is greater. We may feel like these disciples, panicked, exhausted. I mean, the waves keep coming. If you get exhausted and the boat gets in the wrong, next thing you know, you're going to capsize, right? It's going to push you. It's going to turn you. It's going to knock you. And these guys are like, hey, we got to keep, we got to do the right things. We got to, and they're exhausted. And, they're, and maybe as they're, in this moment of exhaustion, they're just getting panicked, like, oh, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Uh, can we keep this going? How long can we keep this going? Maybe they feel like David did when he wrote Psalm 22.1, when he cries out and he says this. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, why did you tell us to get in the boat? You're not with us this time. 
I mean, last time we almost died, but you were at least with us, and we saw you say, calm, peace, be still. You know, like, okay, now we're struggling. You're not with us in this boat. Why have you forsaken us? You ever feel like that? I'm in my circumstance. God, where are you? I know, I know a lost and dying world says that all the time. Well, where was God when this happened? Where was God when this happened? Where was God when this happened? They, they go to these moments of crisis and they say, Jesus wasn't in that boat. And they feel like this. Jesus himself will quote this psalm on the cross. He knows. He understands. He gets us fully. He understands us fully. He makes perfect intercession for us. He knows our condition. He knows our weakness. This truth of God coming to be our help comes out of Paul's writings. And he'll say this uh, in his writings to the Corinthians who had a lot of relational, emotional, physical, and spiritual hardships. He'll, he'll pin this in 2 Corinthians 4.17. He writes this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Light momentary affliction. Come on, man. Right? Isn't that how we feel? Light? Momentary? Like, it doesn't feel light. It doesn't feel light when the doctor's report comes back and it's not good. It doesn't feel light when that doctor's report isn't about you, but it's about your child. And you can't do anything for them. It doesn't feel light when there's too much month and not enough money and the bills keep coming in and then on top of it, your kid comes in and says, I wrecked the car. Just crashes in. It doesn't feel light when the relationships are strained to the point of breaking and you don't know if you're going to have your best friend tomorrow. It doesn't feel light when life continues to pile on sorrow after sorrow like Job loses his kids loses his, his, his health, loses his wealth so much, just stripped away, just thing after thing. But verse 25, it says that Jesus comes to them. Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So Jesus comes out to them and they become terrified. So they're tired, they're straining, they're exhausted. And now there's a ghost. Like, can it get any worse? But Jesus calms them. He says, don't be afraid, it is I. This word terrify, this is where we get the word phobia. Like it's, a, it's seizing. It's a terror that is, it just constrains you, restricts you. Like you can't, you're, you're just constrained with fear. You don't know what to do next. It's those situations where it's like, in my brain, I should be running, but my feet won't move. 
you know? They are terrified. And Jesus says, take courage, it's I. It's, it's me, it's, it's the Lord. I'm here. So Jesus calms them with his presence. With his presence. He calms us with his presence. You're in the midst of crisis, draw near to Jesus. You want to be calmed? You want to feel peace that passes understanding? Draw near to Jesus. It may sound terrifying in our minds, especially if we're not living the way we should, but he welcomes us. He draws near to us as we draw near to him. He is there waiting. Draw near. Receive that peace that comes from his presence, the presence of God with us. So again, stop for a moment. Just think about your circumstance. Think about the trial you are in, or maybe a trial you just came through. Think about those, those moments. And then I want you to listen to these truths, okay? Listen to these truths. For God's children, you are loved with an everlasting love. God is for your good. He calls you to be like his son, and he helps you in that moment to be transformed and conformed. He gives you comfort and direction and promises, and, and he does this from his word for your moment. As we read, he, he speaks to us through his Bible, through the Bible and through his word, through the Spirit working. He's praying for you right now. He does not leave you, nor does he forsake you. He is just, and he will bring all the unseen things to light. If, even if they don't come to light in your lifetime or in this moment, all those things that feel hidden, that you feel like they should be seen, this isn't fair, God, where are you? He is just, and he will bring all of these things to light, and he will deal with them righteously and appropriately. He will work for your good and his glory in you. He's faithful to lead you. He has rewards for you as you walk in his ways. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 says this, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. In the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle, as you follow him in obedience, you're building a reward that he will give you. Now think about your circumstance. Doesn't this make you feel a little bit more hopeful? <laughs> like all these truths about God and what he does and who he is, like, doesn't, that, doesn't that make hope kind of come up within, like start stirring that up? Doesn't it give courage? Doesn't it start to bring strength back to you? You're like, we can make it through this because we have the Lord. 
There's, there's a thing that goes around right now, I hear a lot. It's about victory. And it's true. We have victory in Jesus. Jesus gives us the victory. All victory in Christ. Here's what I want to point out. Obedience is the victory. Walking with him. Being with him. Hearing him and and just following him. That's the victory. See, we have this idea that victory means I must come out on top. I must win the day. I must be the one where everything goes my way. I have victory. It doesn't always. This life doesn't always go our way. But in those moments where we are being pressed but not broken, we have victory. Why? Because Christ is with us. We are walking with him. He is doing a beautiful work in us. And we have the victory because he's conforming us and transforming us. He is near. We are being changed into glory to glory. That's victory. So we don't have to win the day. Someday, sometimes we won't. But are you obedient? Are you walking with him? Are you listening to his voice? That's the victory, that you're walking with the Savior. All of that hope, it's, it stirs Peter, verses 28 and 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Peter asked to take a great step of faith. Call me to you on the water. He says, I want to take a great step of faith. If it's you, Lord, call me. I want to come to you. I want to be with you. I want to do what you're doing. I don't want to be in this boat anymore. Jesus says, well, first what you need to do. No, he he just simply says, come. He says, come. So let me ask you, what great step of faith are you asking for? What are you asking the Lord for? What great step of faith? Lord, call me to this. What are you praying for? This is Peter saying, in this moment, I just want to be with Jesus. Jesus, if you're walking on water, I want to walk on water. Jesus, if you're working in this ministry, I want to work in this ministry. Jesus, if you're doing this, I want to do this. Jesus, you gave me these gifts, I want to use them here. He says, come. What am I asking for? Me, Rob. I'm asking that God would heal our fellowship, that we make our crooked pathways straight, that he would fill the fellowship with worship and with his presence. And he would move us to engage, to impact, and to see our community come to know and receive the person of Jesus Christ. Now, none of that is easy, and none of that is possible without Jesus. He has to be in the midst of those circumstances saying, come. So when Jesus says, come, we can't stop short there. We like to. Man, Jesus, I'm praying for this. He says, come. He's like, whoo, good. All right. Well, I'm going to sit over here now and just, I am so thankful that the Lord's going to work in that. I'm just, he said, come, and he's going to do it. Like, yeah. It's easy to sit back. No, 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 no. You got to get out of the boat now. He said, what are you praying for? I'm praying for this. All right, get out of the boat, come. That's a step of faith. We have to get out of the boat and start walking towards him and start 
doing what it is that he says, come do. Verse 30, we read this. But when he saw the wind, he was terrified. Again, that word phobia, that paralyzed with fear again because of the circumstance around him. And beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. So when Peter left the safety of the boat and had only the Lord, he, like us all, like all of us can, became afraid. Again, this means terror or dread came over him. Here's the problem. Jesus said, come, I got out of the boat. I'm out of the boat. I'm sinking. Oh, no, I don't have the boat. I don't have my safety net. All I have is the Lord. That's the best place to be. That's, that's where he wants us, in his hand, with him, walking with him. So Peter, in this moment, he has three choices. He can turn and try to swim back to the boat. He's like, okay, well, I'm not going to make that. Like, shh, the waves are just going to knock me over. Or you could try to stay afloat and be like, okay, dog paddle, I'm going to tread or whatever. And the waves will crash and crash and crash, and eventually he'll go under. Or he can call for the one who can help him and rescue him, and that is the Lord who's standing on the water in his circumstance, right there, faithful, ready to receive. So what's he do? Those two are out. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus takes him and draws him up. I would venture to guess that there's many in here that are in the middle of some kind of circumstance, and you are trying to dog paddle your way out of it. And Jesus is standing on the water in front of you like, all right, like, I'm right here. Call out, say, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. I need your presence. I need your comfort. I need your strength. I need your help in this moment. It's more than I can bear. It's more than I can do. I have no safety net. Call unto the Lord and let him help. Let him pull you up. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus immediately reaches out, takes hold of him. Some of us need God to just take hold of us, to pull us up and to hold us. Listen, it's okay if you go through a season where you say, I can't minister right now. I just need Jesus to hug on me. I just need to sit. I just need to hear him. I need to be praying. I need people to pour into me. But more than that, I need the spirit of God to minister to me. And I need to feel the arms of Jesus around me. And just, I need him to hug me. I just need to be with him. That's okay. We don't stay there. That's like the mountain of transfiguration. Man, when you're in the arms of Jesus and he's loving on you, and you're like, this, there's nothing better than this. I like this. I don't want this to stop. This is so good. I'm so encouraged. But Jesus says, hey, we don't stay here. <laughs> we got to go back down. We got to go and do these things. So some of us just need to call out and let God hold us for a while. Just be ministered to. Jesus is Peter's help, he's Peter's rescue. What's your help? What's your rescue? Who is your help? Who is your rescue? We're in church, so the answer is Jesus. You know, 
You ever heard that Sunday school joke? You know, the, the teacher's telling the kids, what's short, little animal, gray, has a tail, and the kids are all just looking like, I don't know. You know, it goes up and down trees and builds a little nest, and they're like, no. They're not answering it. They're like, why are they not getting it? You know, he hides acorns and stuff in the ground, and they're all in the get And finally, one little kid raises his hand, and she's like, yes. And she's like, sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. We all know the answer is Jesus, but is that your answer? Is that what you're trusting? Are you trusting him? Where is your help? Where is your rescue? I mean, we really have to do a a little bit of soul searching. For some, when these trials are overwhelming and they're just more than they can bear, help and rescue is at the bottom of a bottle or with drugs or other substances just to help them just forget. Wears off, and then they just do it again. And the next thing you know, that becomes the master. And now they have calamity on top of calamity, and they feel trapped, and they don't know where to go, and they just keep trying something different to numb the the situation. For some, it's more work. Hey, I'm really good at work. The rest of my life is crap, but right now, if I go to work, I can get things done. I'm really good at it. I'm successful there. I get recognition there. People are like, hey, we really like you in the office. Man, you put in a lot of hours. Man, you're really successful. I make a lot of money. I'm just, I don't want to think about life. I don't want to think about the circumstances. I don't want to think about all the brokenness that that I have waiting for me when I leave this place. I'm just going to pour myself into this work. I'm just going to work, 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 work. And that doesn't satisfy, and that doesn't rescue, and that doesn't help. For others, it's just, you know what? I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to take it easy and forget work, forget life, forget everything. I'm just going to whatever. And they check out and fall into depression and sadness. And they just give up. For some, it's entertainment. You know what? I just... I deserve this. I just got to go out. I'm just going to watch a movie. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go play golf. I'm going to, whatever it is. This, I, I'm going to entertain myself to the point that I don't have to face anything going on in my life. Well, what do you do when that's done? Well, everything is just waiting for you. It's like it, it, it puts, puts it on pause, you know. Your, your worries are like, oh, you're going to go play golf. Okay, we'll be here when you get back. That's what happens. It doesn't satisfy. Some people find all forms of escapism. Many of them are very sinful and destructive. They just need to escape. And they throw their life into different areas just to escape. Live a different life. Be a different person. Do something different. It doesn't, doesn't rescue. The most tragic, I think, is when people try many different ways and they give up and they say my escape is just to take my life I'll just end it what's the point Jesus is our rescue Jesus is the one who comes close and and draws us out of the out of the waves holds us helps us through our circumstance gives us gives us strength and and peace in the midst of the trials. His nearness is our good. His love for us is awesome and steadfast. I can promise you one thing. 
every trial has an end. Every single one. Every trial you go through will end. Some are really short, some can be really long. But they will end. You say, well, what if I die? Well, it ended. (laughs) Every trial will have an end. And Christ is the one standing there in the midst of our trials to help us, to call us up, to, to be what we need. Jesus is there. So call to him. He's waiting to help you with all that you're going through and all that we as a body are going through. We all need to call on him. John 6, 37 says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. If you are his, you are his. And he doesn't throw you away. He's like, son, daughter, come. I'm listening. I'm ready. I want to be with you. I'm, I'm right here. I won't cast you out. I won't throw you away. I'm not going to go anywhere. Acts 2.21 says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a great verse, and don't get lost in the fact that, we're, that this verse is just salvation-centric. I mean, we think of this, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, great. But what about today, right now? I'm already saved. I already called on the name of the Lord. No, call on the name of the Lord today, and he will be your savior in this moment, in this circumstance. Your eternal salvation, secure by the blood of Christ. This moment, he can be your savior here too. He can help you right now, where you are. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Even for a church, Revelation 3, this is Jesus standing before a church. We use this individually. Context is he's standing before the church. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Open the door, church. Call out to the name of the Lord and he will come in and begin the healing that we need in this place. He's our help individually, but he's our help in this moment for the bride. So we call out together. Will you stand and pray with me? Father, you addressed Peter as little faith. It's like a nickname. You said, oh, little faith. (laughs) We are there. We don't want to doubt. You're good. And we call upon the name of the Lord in our circumstance. For the one who has never called on you for salvation, will you pray with me? Father, I need you. I am a sinner, and I need the forgiveness of Christ. Forgive me. Welcome me as a child of God. I want to give my life to you, all of my life, and walk in your ways. I ask this in Jesus' name. For those of us who have already prayed that prayer, God, we, we say, Lord, come into our circumstance right now. We call on you. Grab us by the hand and lift us up.
maybe we're walking in a good way. And so we call and we just say, God, things have been pressed on me and you've been talking to me and your spirit's been showing me things and I, I want to move into this ministry or into this place. Would you say, come? Lord, through the spirit, show people where you are saying, come, where you want them to join you in this work and then give us the strength, strengthen our inner man, inner woman to walk after you and to answer that, to get out of our boat and to start walking by faith. Give us eyes to see, eyes of faith to see what you are doing for the kingdom's sake and for your name's sake. And then help us all to trust, to trust you. You are good. We, the bride here in this place at this time, we call out, Lord Jesus, come in. We open the door. We invite you. Come sup with us. Minister to us. Nourish us. Strengthen us. Hold us and hug us, Lord. We need it. May we just sit at your feet and be blessed by your presence. And as we see you, Lord Jesus, do these great miracles, we now sing in awe and in praise, and we want to lift up our voices just to say how great you are and to bless you who sit in the heavenlies. We pray all of this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.